Chapter Twenty One of She. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Red Abrus. She by H. Rider Haggard. The dead and living meet. See now the place where I have slept for these two thousand years, said Asha, taking the lamp from Leo's hand and holding it above her head. Its rays fell upon a little hollow in the floor, where I had seen the leaping flame, but the fire was out now. They fell upon the white form stretched there beneath its wrappings upon its bed of stone, upon the fretted carving of the tomb and upon another shelf of stone opposite the one on which the body lay, and separated from it by the breadth of the cave. Here went on Asha, laying her hand upon the rock. Here have I slept night by night for all these generations, with but a cloak to cover me. It did not become me that I should lie soft when my spouse yonder, and she pointed to the rigid form, lay stiff in death. Here, night by night, have I slept in his cold company, till thou seest this thick slab, like the stairs down which we passed, has worn thin with the tossing of my form. So faithful have I been to thee, even in thy space of sleep, Calicrates. And now, mine own, thou shalt see a wonderful thing. Living, thou shalt behold thyself dead. For well have I tended thee during all these years, Calicrates. Art thou prepared? We made no answer, but gazed at each other with frightened eyes. The whole scene was so dreadful and so solemn. Asha advanced and laid her hand upon the corner of the shroud and once more spoke. Be not affrighted, she said, though the thing seem wonderful to thee, all we who live have thus lived before, nor is the very shape that holds us a stranger to the sun. Only we know it not, because memory writes no record, and earth hath gathered in the earth she lent us, for none have saved our glory from the grave. But I, by my arts and by the arts of those dead men of Kor, which I have learned and held thee back, O Calicrates, from the dust, that the waxen stamp of beauty on thy face should ever rest before mine eye. T'was a mask that memory might fill, serving to fashion out thy presence from the past, and give it strength to wander in the habitations of my thought, clad in a mummery of life that stayed my appetite with visions of dead days. Behold now, let the dead and living meet, Across the gulf of time they still are one. Time hath no power against identity, though sleep the merciful hath blotted out the tablets of our mind, and with oblivion sealed the sorrows that else would hound us from life to life, stuffing the brain with gathered griefs till it bursts in the madness of uttermost despair. Still are they one, for the wrappings of our sleep shall roll away as thunder clouds before the wind. 
the frozen voice of the past shall melt in the music like mountain snows beneath the sun and the weeping and the laughter of the lost hours shall be heard once more most sweetly echoing up the cliffs of immeasurable time i the sleep shall roll away and the voices shall be heard when down the completed chain whereof our each existence is a link the lightning of the spirit hath passed to work out the purpose of our being quickening and fusing those separated days of life and shaping them to a staff whereon we may safely lean as we wend to our appointed fate therefore have no fear calicrates when thou living and but lately born shalt look upon thine own departed self who breathed and died so long ago i do but turn one page in thy book of being and show thee what is writ thereon behold with a sudden motion she drew the shroud from the cold form and let the lamplight play upon it i looked and then shrank back terrified since say what she might in explanation the sight was an uncanny one for her explanations were beyond the grasp of our finite minds and when they were stripped from the mists of vague esoteric philosophy and brought into conflict with the cold and horrifying fact did not do much to break its force for there stretched upon the stone bier before us robed in white and perfectly preserved was what appeared to be the body of leo vinci i stared from leo standing there alive to leo lying there dead and could see no difference except perhaps that the body on the bier looked older feature for feature they were the same even down to the crop of little golden curls which was leo's most uncommon beauty it even seemed to me as i looked that the expression on the dead man's face resembled that which i had sometimes seen upon leo's when he was plunged into profound sleep i can only sum up the closeness of the resemblance by saying that i never saw twins so exactly similar as that dead and living pair i turned to see what effect was produced upon leo by the sight of his dead self and found it to be one of partial stupefaction he stood for two or three minutes staring and said nothing and when at last he spoke it was only to ejaculate cover it up and take me away nay wait calicrates said asha who standing with the lamp raised above her head flooding with its light her own rich beauty and the cold wonder of the death clothed from upon the bier resembled an inspired sibyl rather than a woman as she rolled out her majestic sentences with a grandeur and a freedom of utterance which i am alas quite unable to reproduce wait i would show thee something that no title of my crime may be hidden from thee do thou o holy open the garment on the breast of the dead calicrates for perchance my lord may fear to touch it himself i obeyed with trembling hands it seemed a desecration and an unhallowed thing to touch that sleeping image of the live man by my side presently his broad chest was bare and there upon it right over the heart was a wound evidently inflicted with a spear thou seest calicrates she said know then that it was i who slew thee in the place of life i gave thee death i slew thee because of the egyptian 
Amenartas, whom thou didst love, for by her wiles she held thy heart, and her I could not smite as but now I smote that woman, for she was too strong for me. In my haste and bitter anger I slew thee, and now for all these days have I lamented thee, and waited for thy coming, and thou hast come, and none can stand between thee and me, and of a truth now, for death I will give thee life, not life eternal, for that none can give, but life and youth that shall endure for thousands upon thousands of years, and with it pomp and power and wealth and all things that are good and beautiful, such as have been to no man before thee, nor shall be to any man who comes after. And now one thing more, and thou shalt rest and make ready for the day of thy new birth. Thou seest this body which was thine own. For all these centuries it hath been my cold comfort and my companion, but now I need it no more. For I have thy living presence, and it can but serve to stir up memories of what, which I would fain forget. Let it therefore go back to the dust from which I held it. Behold, I have prepared against this happy hour, and going to the other shelf or stone ledge, which, which she said had served her for a bed, she took from it a large, vitrified, double-handed, Bass, the mouth of which was tied up with a bladder. This she loosed, and then, having bent down and gently kissed the white forehead of the dead man, she undid the vase and sprinkled its contents carefully over the form, taking, I observed, the greatest precautions against any drop of them touching us or herself, and then poured out what remained of the liquid upon the chest and head. Instantly a dense vapour arose, and the cave was filled with choking fumes that prevented us from seeing anything, while the deadly acid, for I presume it was some tremendous preparation of that sort, did its work. From the spot where the body lay came a fierce fizzing and cracking sound, which ceased, however, before the fumes had cleared away. At last they were all gone, except a little cloud that still hung over the corpse. In a couple of minutes more this too had vanished, and wonderful as it may seem, it is a fact that on the stone bench that had supported the mortal remains of the ancient calicrates for so many centuries, there was now nothing to be seen but a few handfuls of smoking white powder. The acid had utterly destroyed the body, and even in places eaten into the stone. Asha stooped down, and, taking a handful of this powder in her grasp, threw it into the air, saying at the same time in a voice of calm solemnity, Dust to dust, the past to the past, the dead to the dead. Calicrates is dead and is born again. The ashes floated noiselessly to the rocky floor, and we stood in awed silence and watched them fall, too overcome for words. Now leave me, she said, and sleep if ye may. I must watch and think, for to-morrow night we go hence, and the time is long since I trod the path that we must follow. Accordingly we bowed and left her. 
As we passed to our own apartment, I peeped into Job's sleeping place to see how he fared, for he had gone away just before our interview with the murdered Ustain, quite prostrated by the terrors of the Amahagar festivity. He was sleeping soundly, good honest fellow that he was, and I rejoiced to think that his nerves, which, like those of most uneducated people, were far from strong, had been spared the closing scenes of this dreadful day. Then we entered our own chamber, and here at last poor Leo, who, ever since he had looked upon that frozen image of his living self, had been in a state not far removed from stupefaction, burst out into a torrent of grief. Now that he was no longer in the presence of the dread she, his sense of the awfulness of all that had happened, and more especially of the wicked murder of Ustain, who was bound to him by ties so close, broke upon him like a storm, and lashed him into an agony of remorse and terror which was painful to witness. He cursed himself. He cursed the hour when we had first seen the writing on the shred, which was being so mysteriously verified, and bitterly he cursed his own weakness. Asha he dared not curse. Who dared speak evil of such a woman whose consciousness, for aught we knew, was watching us at the very moment? What am I to do, old fellow? he groaned, resting his head against my shoulder in the extremity of his grief. I let her be killed, not that I could help that, but within five minutes I was kissing her murderess over her body. I am a degraded brute, but I cannot resist that. And here his voice sank. That awful sorceress! I know I shall do it again tomorrow. I know that I am in her power for always. If I never saw her again, I should never think of anybody else during all my life. I must follow her as a needle follows a magnet. I would not go away now if I could. I could not leave her. My legs would not carry me. But my mind is still clear enough, and in my mind I hate her. At least I think so. It is all so horrible, and that... That body, what can I make of it? It was I? I am sold into bondage, old fellow, and she will take my soul as the price of herself. Then, for the first time, I told him that I was in a but very little better position, and I am bound to say that, notwithstanding his own infatuation, he had the decency to sympathize with me. Perhaps he did not think it worth while being jealous, realizing that he had no cause so far as the lady was concerned. I went on to suggest that we should try to run away, but we soon rejected the project as futile, and, to be perfectly honest, I do not believe that either of us would really have left Asha even if some superior power had suddenly offered to convey us from these gloomy caves and set us down in Cambridge. We could no more have left her than a moth can leave the light that destroys it. We were like confirmed opium-eaters. In our moments of reason we well knew the deadly nature of our pursuit, but we certainly were not prepared to abandon its terrible delights. No man who once had seen she unveiled and heard the music of her voice and drunk in the bitter wisdom of her words would willingly give up the sight for a whole sea of placid joys. How much more, then, 
was this likely to be so when, as in Leo's case, to put myself out of question, this extraordinary creature declared her utter and absolute devotion, and gave what appeared to be proofs of its having lasted for some two thousand years. No doubt she was a wicked person, and no doubt she had murdered Ustain when she stood in her path, but then she was very faithful and by a law of nature man is apt to think but lightly of a woman's crimes especially if that woman be beautiful and the crime be committed for the love of him and then for the rest when had such a chance ever come to a man before as that which now lay in leo's hand true in uniting himself to this dread woman he would place his life under the influence of a mysterious creature of evil tendencies after some months of consideration of this statement, I am bound to confess that I am not quite satisfied of its truth. It is perfectly true that Asha committed a murder, but I shrewdly suspect that, were we endowed with the same absolute power, and if we had the same tremendous interest at stake, we would be very apt to do likewise under parallel circumstances. Also, it must be remembered that she looked on it as an execution for disobedience under a system which made the slightest disobedience punishable by death. Putting aside this question of the murder, her evil doing resolves itself into the expression of views and the acknowledgement of motives which are contrary to our preaching, if not to our practice. Now at first sight, this might be fairly taken as a proof of an evil nature, but when we come to consider the great antiquity of the individual, it becomes doubtful if it was anything more than the natural cynicism which arises from age and bitter experience and the possession of extraordinary powers of observation it is a well-known fact that very often putting the period of boyhood out of the question the older we grow the more cynical and hardened we get indeed many of us are only saved by timely death from utter moral petrifaction if not moral corruption no one will deny that a young man is on the average better than an old one for he is without that experience of the order of things that in certain thoughtful dispositions can hardly fail to produce cynicism and that disregard of acknowledged methods and established customs which we call evil now the oldest man upon the earth was but a babe compared to asha and the wisest man upon the earth was not one-third as wise and the fruit of her wisdom was this that there was but one thing worth living for and that was love in its highest sense and to gain that good thing she was not prepared to stop at trifles this is really the sum of her evil doings and it must be remembered on the other hand that whatever may be thought of them she had some virtues developed to a degree very uncommon in either sex constancy for instance l h h but then that would be likely enough to happen in, to him in any ordinary marriage on the other hand however no ordinary marriage could bring him such awful beauty for awful is the only word that can describe it such divine devotion such wisdom and command over the secrets of nature and the place and power that they must win or lastly the royal crown of unending youth if indeed she could give that 
no on the whole it is not wonderful that though leo was plunged in bitter shame and grief such as any gentleman would have felt under the circumstances he was not ready to entertain the idea of running away from his extraordinary fortune my own opinion is that he would have been mad if he had done so but then i confess that my statement on the matter must be accepted with qualifications i am in love with asha myself to this day and i would rather have been the object of her affection for one short week than that of any other woman in the world for a whole lifetime and let me add that if anybody who doubts this statement and thinks me foolish for making it could have seen asha drew her veil and flash out in beauty on his gaze his view would exactly coincide with my own of course i am speaking of any man we never had the advantage of a lady's opinion of asha but i think it quite possible that she would have regarded the queen with dislike would have expressed her disapproval in some more or less pointed manner and ultimately have got herself blasted for two hours or more leo and i sat with shaken nerves and frightened eyes and talked over the miraculous events through which we were passing it seemed like a dream or a fairy tale instead of the solemn sober fact who would have believed that the writing on the potsherd was not only true but we should live to verify its truth and that we two seekers should find her who was sought patiently awaiting our coming in the tombs of kor who would have thought that in the person of leo this mysterious woman should as she believed discover the being whom she awaited from century to century and whose former earthly habitation she had till this very night preserved but so it was in the face of all we had seen it was difficult for us as ordinary reasoning men any longer to doubt its truth and therefore at last with humble hearts and a deep sense of importance of human knowledge and the insolence of its assumption that denies that to be possible which it has no experience of we led ourselves down to sleep leaving our fates in the hands of that watching providence which had thus chosen to allow us to draw the veil of human ignorance and reveal to us for good or evil some glimpse of the possibilities of life end of chapter 21 recording by red apris january 2008